0: an 8-bit Rocket Studios production.
1: We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an x generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world eight bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blink. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginner's all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match, and programming was suffused as the infinite possibilities of the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari.
2: hi this is 8-bit rocket jeff fulton welcome to into the vertical blank generation atari season three episode seven discussion with kurt vendell about the atari 7800 xm module
1: When the Atari 7800 was developed in 1983 for eventual Christmas 1984 release, there were several advanced features created by GCC the company Atari contracted to design the console that had never been seen in a prior game-playing machine. The first amazing feature was the Maria graphics chip this amazing piece of silicon was basically a super-powered bitmap sprite display processor running at just over 7 megahertz a stunning amount of speed for the time it was produced. Depending on where and how bitmaps were used in a game, it was possible to display upwards of a 100 or more independent 4-color animated sprites at the same time, making games like the crazy and frantic arcade hit Robotron a snap to produce for the system. This power alone should have made the 7800 a monster hit for the holidays in 1984. Another very useful and attractive feature was backwards compatibility as the 7800 could play Atari 2600 games in the same cartridge slot designed for the more advanced 7800 experiences. Atari had learned their lesson with previous VC up follow ups like the 400, 800 and 5200 and would not make the same mistake again. But there was even more. The 7800 sported cryptography. Atari did not want the console to suffer the same issues they had with the 2600, where a flood of third-party developers swamped retailers and disappointed buyers with subpar games. For the 7800, they created a way to lock out unapproved third-party games by developing a signing key required when compiling games for the 7800. The 7800 game code plus the key would create a unique signature that the 7800 hardware itself would verify to make sure the game was approved by Atari. Without an approved signature, the console would revert to 2600 mode, a similar system was used by the NES a couple of years later to world-dominating effect. There were also hardware peripherals, all designed for launch, but all failing to make it to market. Some were simply signs of the times. A keyboard attachment designed for the 700 so it could act like a home computer was the neat idea that captured the zeitgeist of 1984 during the height of the home computer wars era, but it was also the type of device that never proved necessary for a video game system. Same for the planned Laserdisc player. As Laserdisc games lived such a short lifespan in the mid eighties, this would have probably never been released anyway. On the flip side was the high-score cartridge, an idea that was as important as it was tragic that it never made it to release. This battery-backed-up cartridge would act as a pass-through for games inserted into the 7800. With specific code written for the cartridge, a game could save the top five scores and initials for specially designed 7800 games. One can imagine that this feature could have also supported save game states, which one day would prove to be a paradigm shift for NES games like Zelda and Final Fantasy. The 7800 could have had this feature years before those games ever existed. Furthermore, one can imagine the types of amazing experiences this feature would have unlocked as designers would have started making immersive games that could last over multiple sessions long before they showed up on Nintendo's flagship system. But alas, that was not to be. The high-score cartridge was cancelled, along with the full 7800 release in 1984. By the time it appeared two years later as a lackluster Tremel Atari Corp. release, the 7800 was launched into a new universe ruled by Nintendo. For that reason, the Atari 7800, combined with the high-score cartridge and all the games that never were, will live forever in the what-could-have-been file, stuck firmly between the lines of history, smack dab, in the vertical blank. Or do they... In 1999, Gary Rubio, an ex-employee of Atari's consumer division, contacted Kurt Vendel of AtariMuseum.com. The rumors about the 7800 high Score cartridge had circulated for years, but no one was ever sure if any hardware had been produced back in 1984. Gary put the rumors to rest, informing Kurt that not only were there never any high score cartridges produced, but that the designs never even made it to the breadboard stage. While this news might have been a blow to Atari fans who wanted to get their hands on one of the legendary peripherals, it created an opportunity space the pair could not ignore. Gary subsequently provided Kurt with schematics for the hardware and ROM code for the software needed to create a working version of the high-score cartridge. Several months later, Kurt had a working version of the cartridge that could save high scores to the nine original games it was designed for. Asteroids, Ms. Pac-Man, Dig Dug, Xevious, Joust, Food Fight, Robotron, and Centipede. It was like a miracle had occurred. For maybe the first time, a piece of Atari Inc.'s lost hardware history was transformed from legend into a working physical form at $59.99 each. Only 120 of the high-score cartridges, going through several different revisions, were produced before Kurt called it quits. Why stop making a legendary piece of hardware for 7800 fans? Well, Kurt had an even bigger idea. The Atari 7800 XM module. The XM would not only add high score functionality to the 7800, it would turn the Atari 7800 into the console it should have been when it made its major retail debut in 1986 against the NES and Sega Master System. The features Kurt and his engineer partners planned included the following all the features of the high score cartridge, including interfaces so Atari 7800 homebrew developers could access the high score cartridge for save game state a massive 128K upgrade to the main memory, 32 times more than the original 7800, an onboard Pokey audio chip, One of the big misses for the 7800 was that it did not include the 4-voice Pokey audio chip that appeared in the Atari 8-bit computer line in the 5200. It instead relied on the chip being included in cartridges where it was required. This was a massive oversight in the design, and it meant most 7800 games were hobbled with the primitive Tia audio in the 2600, because adding a Pokey to each cartridge was just too expensive. The XM would fix this and allow homebrew programmers to access it for enhanced audio. It also added a Yamaha 2151 synthesizer for even more enhanced audio. This is the same chip used in many 80s arcade games such as Marble Madness. Why did they add it? Because why not? It's a sound chip that should have been in the 7800 in the first place. It also added expansion capabilities through the Poke chip and an onboard SIO interface for further hardware modification by Atari fanatics, hackers and dreamers. Orders for the XM module were taken in early 2010s at $149 each for 150 lucky buyers. Over the next decade, Atari fans waited patiently and sometimes impatiently to see the hardware come to life. In that time, the development, as well as Kurt Vendel himself, suffered a series of health and financial setbacks that knocked the project off track. Until now, that is. On January 6th of this year, Kurt Vendel posted the following to the Atari Age Forms. The XM has shipped. In fact, it had shipped to just one tester, but it was a huge milestone. As of March 22nd of this year, even more units had shipped to developers who were helping debug issues while fixes were being made to the firmware. One hopes this means the XM will be widely available to people who pre-ordered and new customers sometime in 2020. We here at Into the Vertical Blank cannot be happier to hear that the release is so close to reality. What follows now is the second half of our two-part interview with Mr. Atari, Kurt Vendel. In this episode, he gives further details on the design and development process of the XM module and gives a hint as to what will come in the future. Hey everybody, it's Bill from Atari Bytes. Every week on my show I play a great old game, then I read an original short story I wrote inspired by that game. Loosely inspired. Okay, often completely different. Sometimes not even based on any sort of reality. In contrast, on Into the Vertical Blank, which you're listening to right now, you get real stories about real people and what these games mean to them. So keep listening.
2: How you doing? I'm really good. Nice hearing from you. It's been a long time. Where are you now, though? You're not
0: in Manhattan, though, right? No, I'm not in Manhattan anymore. It's called the Hamlet of Carmel. We're just above Westchester County in New York. Literally, if I get in my car, I drive five minutes south. I'm in Westchester. If I drive five minutes north, I'm in Connecticut. So I'm I'm in this little kind of pizza slice right between those two areas. I'm 200 feet away from each of my neighbors on each side. You know the kids get worn out when they used to go to when they used to go trick or treating because it was like <laughs> the kids would walk like five miles to get like you know ten treats. I mean they were they were burning off more calories than they were getting from the chocolate bar. So that
2: that's the best way
0: to do it though, right? Anyway, well it is in
2: Westchester. Is that why the name of your company is Westchester?
0: Well, you see that's the thing. I'm technically in Putnam County, but not that many people know Putnam. Everybody knows Westchester. So I decided to call my company Westchester Technologies. Legacy Engineering went bankrupt. Well, I had to file for bankruptcy because I had done uh, a business dealing. This is, this is one of the reasons why I have a real issue with the Frederick Chenet-owned Atari Incorporated. Sherman set the Wayback Machine to 2008, <laughs> no, it was 2007. I get this frantic phone call from Frederick Chenet he had gotten fired the year before. Let's, let's return that. We'll relabel that. He wasn't fired. He was ex- executively departed from the company um, because of some questionable financial dealings because he was the CFO of Atari at the time. To put it straightforward, there was a lot of money disappearing out of Atari and being transferred to the, the, the board over in, uh, in France. He was, he was let go. Part of his severance package. I I always love this. I always love when you get these big executives. Listen, we're going to fire you, and let me see how many millions of dollars we're going to give you as you walk out the door. (laughs) Part of his severance package was he was granted the rights to Microprose. He calls me up frantic. I'm on a friggin' cruise ship. It's Christmas Eve. I'm in the middle of the Caribbean. (laughs) I get this frantic call from him. He's just gotten off the phone with Gene Simmons from KISS. He has secured a licensing agreement to use Gene Simmons for video game products. Could I come up with some ideas? He was throwing stuff. He goes, you know, what about racing games and stuff like that? And I said, yeah, I said, but that's not really, that's not Gene Simmons. I said, you got to do things that are associated with gene simmons he's a rock star i mean that that the bottom line that's what it comes down to so i get back i get right to work in in beginning of january i meet with fred he brings me on as his executive business development or, or, or senior business development i still have the business card buried someplace
2: so now we, we can ask you a question for, about this this is this has happened to me before too they bring you on they give you a title but there's no pay yet. Is that the way it yes. was? Oh, okay. Well, that that's where
0: that's where the story
2: gets in. Yeah, I know how it is. Go on. I'm going to hear this.
0: It basically ends. It basically ends with me spending the next six months developing a line of products for him. The centerpiece is the Gene Simmons Axe Guitar Controller for Guitar Hero and oh, Rock wow. Band. It is instead of it being the little little plastic ukuleles that everybody else was making. <laughs> I went for a three quarter size replica of Gene Simmons axe. I was actually given one of Gene Simmons axes by McG. Um, I had to walk through Manhattan with <laughs> a huge bass guitar case to go to my car to bring this home. I have a photo of my daughter. She was maybe, she was about six years old. She's sitting on my couch in my office with this massive guitar in her lap. i I've, We, I bring it to my engineering partner down in Westchester. He had a big 3d scanner table. We put this thing on a scanner and we actually scanned it so we could get all the exact dimensions and features and contours and everything. We made a three quarter three quarter size replica. We hired a factory that would do a multi spray process would actually spray the paint on this thing so it would it wouldn't look like cheap plastic this thing would look like a three-quarter size exact duplicate wow. of his guitar this thing was gorgeous i actually went out flew out to Fran- san francisco there was this i can't remember the f- name of the machine it was it was where guitar hero came from it was a i'm trying to remember i think it was a tato machine um an arcade machine oh the arcade machine right yes yes so I was granted access to it. I took apart their controller and I wanted to look at the strum bar because the biggest problem with all of the Guitar Hero controllers were the strummer. It would break after a while. I took a look at it, took 50,000 friggin' photos from every angle of this thing, went back, we got a, a lathe we got a grinder, we cut this all out in aluminum. we made a duplicate of it. we decided what pieces would be done in plastic, which one which ones would be done in a lightweight. we used a lightweight but strong enough aluminum and we created this really really nice strummer bracket. This thing would never friggin break. That was the whole you know whole point of this. Now, I meanwhile, I'm, I'm creating spreadsheets. I'm creating product sheets. Do you remember? Because I still sell them, but I mean, you know, nobody really talks about it anymore because yeah, I've sold 21,000 of them. Nobody really cares anymore. They're not, they're not like, ooh, ah, uh, unique anymore. My USB controllers. Oh, I, ha- yeah, I have two of them. They're fantastic. Oh, okay, yeah. So he actually was going to sell those. So those were going to be part of the MicroPros line. We were going to sell USB joysticks. You know, I'm creating business plans. I'm doing all this stuff. It was going to be Microsoft Blue and Microsoft Red. Microsoft Blue was going to be all hardware stuff. Microsoft Red was going to be him bringing all the software back. So he was going to be getting this all back up, getting it all re-released and stuff. So I've been busting my ass getting the hardware side of this done. He's supposedly supposed to be getting the software done. He ain't doing shit. He hasn't done a damn thing. I've been doing all this work for six months. I've been putting every hour of my life. And it's all, this. is
2: this all on your dime too as you're doing This is it? all
0: on my dime. At the, at the end of the day, I spent $93,000. June 4th comes along. I'm rushed to the emergency room for emergency cardiac surgery yep. because my heart is infected. Yep. I go, have my surgery. Two days later, I'm in recovery. He calls me up. He goes, Kurt, I'm really sorry to bother you. We've got this big opportunity. Gene Simmons wants to showcase the new guitars on his show. Remember Gene Simmons had the, the, the fam- you know, Gene Simmons family values or whatever. Yes, yes. Fred gives me this, blows all this smoke up my ass. I'm f- recovering from heart surgery, yeah. right. telling me that he's gonna put my guitar controllers up on Gene's program. So I call up my business partner and I'm like, can you do me a favor? Can you pack up two of the three prototypes? Can you send them? to fred fred's gonna get them to mcgee to get them to gene simmons no fred gets them takes them up to canada up to his friend up at beach street up in canada they take apart my prototypes which me not thinking didn't really you know i'm not thinking right now i'm recovering from heart surgery gee i've got unlocked chips on thing right yeah Uh, Bye. EPROMs on it. They copied every f-ing thing. They made cheap versions of it where the necks were flimsy and f-ing broke. They made little wham bars, strum bars. They, the thing was a piece of sh. I'm recovering, so it's been about six, seven weeks. I'm home. I call up Fred. I'm like, "How are things going, Gene?" Gene. Um, well, it doesn't look like that's gonna go through. I'm like, Fred. I'm like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "I thought." This was a done deal. I've, I've put on all this time and money. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to go through. He's, again, lying to me. So then September rolls around, and I see Beat Street advertising the damn things. I've been doing this all on my own dime. We haven't even put down a contract. Now, I remember the figures on this. I mean, the way these were going to go, i could fly into Ohio. I'm meeting with Target. I'm going down to Walmart, down in where was it, Louisiana? Where the they were? You know, I've been flying all over the place, having sales meeting with with everybody to get these things sold. We were we were going to channel them through Walmart, for Target, Best Buy, everything. I mean, the figures, the way they way this was going to go, there was going to be about fifteen million dollars in sales, and there was about three million dollars in profit. Half of that was supposed to be mine. Of course, so. I'm over here thinking awesome, I'm gonna make a little over a million dollars after taxes, this is great. No, instead I get over and I'm $93,000 in debt. I can't keep my company open. I have to file bankruptcy. Legacy Engineering goes bye bye and that's why you don't see Legacy Engineer anymore. If you do a search for Gene Simmons Axe Guitar Controller, you will see they're out there and they were made by Beat Street. They were not made by Microprose. They were not made by Legacy. That's awful. Uh-huh. So, so when it, when I when I hear about how Rob Wyatt worked for 6 months and didn't get paid, I'm like, "Gee, I'm like, this is the shit all over again." I'm like, I'm like, this guy everybody over. He is a piece of shit. Rob yeah. Wyatt actually is an old engineering associate of Seamus Blackley. Oh. Yeah. He's of course, you know, he's the one who headed the Xbox engineering right. team. He's the father of the Xbox. Rob, he was hired on by Atari to be the architect and design a new board that would be the Atari VCS board. He designed the board and delivered it in August. Then they were he was asked to debug it and start working on the production version. And he asked to be
2: paid for what he had already right. done. Like, can I have and money now, please? What? I feed my family with money I make.
0: Yeah, well, right? you know, we you know, th- that's the whole idea here is, you know, I have a skill. I sell my skill and you right, pay me for it. exactly. So, you know, they, they apparently didn't pay Rob. Um, this is just a repeat of the same <laughs> I knew some of the people that were inside of Atari, and I come and I find out, if you remember back in November of 2017, Atari was, was about to start its crowdfunding for the mm-hmm. BCS. And literally, they, they made the announcement, and like two or three days later, they canceled it. And... They put out a press release and Fred Cheney said, we're having some difficulties with one of our vendors. Well, the difficulty was they had gone to Dream Gear. So they approached Dream Gear. They put together a contract and basically it's pretty nice contract. It's, it's, it's straightforward. We'd like to have you guys design a controller for us. And the... Deal would be you design it and we will give you exclusive manufacturing on it. You'll provide all the controllers for the VCS and you'll get a 2 year exclusive agreement where you can sell additional controllers direct as aftermarket. And Atari doesn't have to pay for any R&D or any development and Dream Gear picks up all of the costs and they make money by selling the you know selling the controllers. It's a real good deal. Right? The the day before the crowdfunding starts, Freddie sends back the contract for DreamKear to sign. And the contract I've seen, I I got a copy of it. It was sent to me. The contract
1: must be hilarious. This,
0: this, this I love I love how fing <laughs> Fredericksine <A> is. He <laughs> he takes out all of the exclusiveness out of the contract. Whoa. So so basically, the new contract says Dream Gear will provide the controller to Atari, and Atari has the right to choose um, whatever factory or manufacturer it wants for the controller. And the whole two-year exclusive aftermarket sale is removed out too. So basically, Dream Gear will design and deliver a controller <laughs> to Atari, and they get sh**. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, gee, this sounds like me all over again. Let me spend all my money and deliver a product to to Freddie, and then Freddie makes all the profit, and I get and I am get stuck with the Bill. So it's like he just it's a repeat of history over and over again with this guy. This is why even even when this damn thing comes out, because I mean eventually it will come out. All all this thing is is a stupid PC, three hundred dollars for this little plastic case. And it's nothing more than a damn, it's a low to mid-end laptop-powered computer. This is what I said in the beginning. You know, they didn't have to go through all of this shit. They could have gone straight to Pi and had a custom version of the Pi made and gone that way. They, you know, because, I mean, look look at what you've got. You've got Kodi, you've got RetroPi, you've got all these things. I can take a Pi 4 right now. I can install Kodi on it. I can do everything and anything that has been shown so far on the VCS. I can stream Netflix. I can watch YouTube. I can watch Disney Plus. I can play every f-ing video game up through the friggin' s- the, the, the PS One, and even you know, th- apparently someone's actually almost got an Xbox One emulator working fairly stable. Although, I, you know, that that I'm not going to count. But I mean, you can you can use the stream mirror, and you can. You know, use steam to to steam on onto the onto the pie. Basically, there's nothing the VCS does that a friggin' pie for fifty dollars can't do. Atari didn't need to go down this route. They didn't need to go through all this nonsense. They could have spent one year making a nice souped-up pie. They could have done a great great job. This is the way they should have gone. They think this is going to be a playstation or an xbox here's the thing once atari puts this thing out the door that's it you think they're going to develop for this thing you're going to do anything for this they're not going to do and then i hear this oh we're sending 500 developer units out 500 yellow developer units to who there's maybe three developers out there that that (gasps) might actually make some games for this thing who who are the other 497
2: (laughs) so on that note the new Atari is not... The only thing that I could think of that all oh, that would be worth it for them to do was to just give me a version of Food Fight that I can play that's, that's, that's like the arcade. Like, like, I just want... Like, so far, I can play it on 7800. I got it, right? I can play it on the PC. But there's... The, the controller for Food Fight was that 360-degree controller. I know. I know. And it doesn't exist anywhere.
0: It's oh, you know, I, I, I was, I was, I was always disappointed, and I always wondered. I'm like, they made such a version for the eight bit. I think I put the source code for Food Fight up a long time ago, and if I haven't, maybe I got, maybe I got a double check and post it up in the 5200 forums. Why hasn't someone taken that code, ported it over to the 5200, and here is finally a game besides. You know, um, what is it? Uh, Space Dungeon, Zari and Arena, or whatever, right? Raiders <laughs> and, Ari- and and Zari Arena, which are probably the only games that the three hundred and sixty joystick absolutely shines like a beacon with. Centipede really well Keyword. done, boot fight on the five thousand two hundred. I mean, that would be awesome. I've I've only done one game in my entire life, and it was a, a major hack of adventure. I'm not a programmer, oh. and Obviously, I'm not, not. I'm not a programmer, and it shows. So,
2: um, hey, the first know. time you pick up some code to make a hack of an Adventure, you're a programmer. So let's just say let's
0: let's get let's get that straight. You I'm, may I'm not. Just, I'm just a guy that that, that hacked the <laughs> of it, and unfortunately, I used a lot of cheats. Like if you notice that the, the square changes colors, I I actually had to switch a lot of around because I was having problems. Anyway, so let's so XM. You created this a while ago. Sherman let's- set the way back machine. We got to we got to go back to 1999. I've been very very good friends with a former Atari engineer. His name's Gary Rubio. Ooh. Gary is a wonderful wonderful man. He actually stayed on for a short bit uh, when Atari was sold to the Tremales and he was actually hired on a lot of a lot of people. Like I always I always try to just remind everybody the Tremales bought. Atari, they didn't get the employees with it. They, right. didn't buy in, they didn't buy the employee contracts. So all of those people, all of those, all of those employees were still being paid by Warner. And Tramel came in. Now, you can also got to remember, by this point, we're now down to about 900 people left in the entire mm-hmm. country. The, I mean, the entire company, in the entire world now. We're down to about 900 people. Out of the nine hundred people, he hired about ninety. They were mostly people with sixty-five thousand experience and certain engineers that were working actively on some of the more advanced eight-bit projects and stuff like that. Gary was actually he was actually Atari's liaison between Atari and General Computer Corporation. Oh, the guys that, see, Yeah, the guys that developed the Maria chip, the guys that came up with the whole idea of what was the 3600 at the time. He fortunately had the schematics and a copy of the ROM for the proposed high score cartridge. So one of the times I was out at his house, he goes, you want this? He goes, he goes, I can give you some instructions on how to hack up a cartridge. I'm like, I'd rather make a new cartridge. What do you think? He goes, but there's some battery issues with this. I said, okay, I said, that's fine. Me being the purist, I took the exact schematic that's GCC did, and I duplicated it because I wanted an exact duplicate of the high score cartridge. The problem was it had the battery train issue in it. And me not thinking maybe we should fix that versus keeping it identical to the original design. I guess, you know, in hindsight, I guess I should have done something. So I make the cartridges, I did 120, then I did like another 20 batch, and I think I did a final 10 batch. People kept coming back for them, and then they kept showing up on eBay. People were price gouging. It was really, really bothering me. I'm like, you know, I made them. I think I was selling them for 59 bucks. I didn't like anything that I made to ever be price gouged. It really bothered right, me. Right,
2: you never did. Even your joysticks were incredibly cheap for 15 bucks for like, A USB Atari joystick when no one else was making anything like it. If they, yeah, well,
0: people still complain that it didn't include a a USB cable with it. Everybody was, everybody was had a (laughs) complaint.
2: So it would have been another ten dollars to go. The price would have been ten dollars more.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, well, that was that was the problem. And I I figured, you know, everybody, everybody would get, you know, get their own cable. It wasn't. We all had a
2: USB printer, and it was the same cable.
0: Finally, at one point, I wanted to make a new batch of the high-score cartridges. So this was probably 2008, 2009. I start thinking about this and I said, you know, I want to do a high-score cartridge, but I don't want this stacked up thing. I never liked the stacking. It was clumsy and it was ugly. I wanted to do something that would plug into the 7800 and could stay there. So I was like, okay, maybe I can go with Pac-Tech. I can get an off-the-shelf plastic case. And then maybe I could cut a hole in it and put a cartridge slot. I started flirting with the idea and then I threw it out there on Atari age. What if I make a a new high score cartridge, but you keep it plugged in and, you know, why don't I maybe throw, since it's going to be plugged in, I could do Dan Schwinn's Pokey design, his super cart uh, board design. Uh, I think it was called the flex cart. And I'm like, why don't I throw a Pokey on here and I could throw 16K of memory too. So that was kind of how the whole idea started was i would do a new high score cartridge and maybe throw a pokey in with it and you know possibly some memory so the whole thing kind of got banted about for a while people started throwing in you know everybody as everybody is and i'm not faulting anyone but everybody started throwing in all this crazy pie in the sky stuff <laughs> have to do, this, have it do that you know, make it pop up an umbrella when it rains. And then, you know, and what what about putting an expansion header on it and compact flash? It got really out of control. And at one point I kind of stopped the whole thread. And I said, guys, we got to keep this real. I said, here's my first mandate. I want this to be a product that could have been done during the lifespan of the seven hundred, so it would have to be a product that can only use technologies that were available from 84 through 92. I said so all this idea about throwing processors and modern stuff in here I don't want I want to keep this true because otherwise you know what happens is you start throwing all this modern stuff on it'll accomplish the task but really think about it you you've it's not the seven hundred anymore it's 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 not what we bought. So it had to be something that stayed, you know, pure to the, to the, the time period. So that was the first thing. Now I'll, I'll stop you. I'll stop here for a second. Cause I know someone in the audience is going to say, well, gee, aren't you using a PLD that that wasn't around back then. The PLD is just consolidating about 40, you know, gate chip. I've lost count how many friggin' 74, one thirty eights and 400s and OOs and O4s and you know, 57 i mean there's there's so many freaking gate chips that it's just consolidating dozens and dozens of of just off the shelf 7400 series chips and just sticking them all into one chip so it's it's not a modern chip all it is is just a consolidation of gate chips into one package that's all it is. I'll tell you what i have three revisions of this rev one was the prototype board the prototype bus board and it was basically a big board that plugged into the 7800 that had four slots in it. So I had four slots and I had these huge breadboards plugging into this thing. I'm like, I'm never going to be able to get this inside of this case. This is never going to work. So that's when the PLD decide, you know, first started. When it first started out with a 1502, then moved up quickly to a 1504. And now we're up to a 1508, which gives enough cell uh, space to be able to accomplish everything that's going on. The first rev was that. Then the second rev was the one that I started to start showing, and I did a couple of videos over the years. That was the rev two, and of course, it went through increments you know, 2.1, 2.1, you know, 2, 2.1.4, so forth. We're at rev three. Rev three is the working functional version that's gotten all of the, the bugs out of this thing, except one very, very deep bug, which looks like DHL has delivered my boards which I'll start building out which hopefully will resolve the timing bug issue and also is adding in the missing power pad that somehow or another the trace wasn't connected to it it was it was next to it it just wasn't connected and I really I'm not going to reveal this I want people to see this when it happens but Mark and I have been working Mark Ball he has put a hell of a lot of his time he's I do this because I love.
2: It's also out of your own pocket, double. Even though people paid, I know that you've gone
0: well over your budget to well, create these. Well, well that, that's another thing. That's another thing that really, really bothers me. I have, I have a couple of people. I have one person. I'm not going to name the name, but I have one person. He is just doesn't know how to let things go. He has bad mouthed me for decades. He posted up at one point that the. I sold I sold 180 of these units, and then there were a couple of I promised to people I, I I gave a couple of free ones out. I sold 180 of these, sold them for 90 bucks each. Do the math on that. That's not a lot it's, of money. <laughs> it's not a lot of money. It was seventeen thousand dollars. Okay, the tooling I had steel tooling done. This is professional steel tooling. Okay, if you even if there were 3D printers back then, you're not printing these cases this like this. This is a lot of f- plastic excuse my mouth. This is a lot of plastic. Um, and you know, you're, you're not going to print this out. I paid for steel tooling to be made and I paid to have 500 pieces of plastic done. Okay. The tooling was $9,000 for each side. There's two sides, the top and the bottom. So that's $18,000. The plastics were included with it. As part of my cost on the tooling, I didn't have to pay for the plastics, which was great. Right there, I used up my budget. I paid another $1,200 to have the nameplates done. Okay, I actually found the it, this was this was just by chance. I had no idea. I found a company in California called GM Nameplate gm had nothing to do with gmo automotive it's just called gm nameplate i contacted them and i said could you guys do an aluminum brushed metal label i found them because there is a company called DataLogic or dialogic they make those scanners at the supermarkets that you put your food in front of and it reads the barcode so i happen to notice the the big name the big aluminum nameplate on top of these things. And they were beautiful. And I found one of the machines actually had the name of the company that did it. So I was like, I contacted them. They're right in California. So I contacted them. I'm like I'm like, could you do me a brushed aluminum nameplate with a, you know, a, a rainbow spectrum from, from, you know, purple through red rain, you know, rainbow line across. And could you do raised diamond cut letters on it? They're like, yeah, we actually did that for Atari back a couple of years ago. <laughs> my my heart literally dropped when the guy <laughs> said that to me. I'm like, excuse me? Yeah, we used to do all sorts of stuff for Atari. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm like, well, this actually is a product that is going to plug into a, an Atari console. They're like, really? So they got all they got all jazzed up on this because it was like, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're getting the band back together. Exactly. You know? So... <laughs> I hired this company to make these these aluminum nameplates and these are real super high-end. When you see an XM case, it literally looks like Atari made this because what I did was I took the plans. Atari in April of 1984 was working on how they were going to add computer expansion to the console. So the first idea was they were going to do what was called a piggyback CPU. So they designed this CPU module that would stick on top of the 7800 and a keyboard to plug in the side. The case design had a little DB9 on the side of it for the keyboard. I decided we'll put a DB15 so I could make this compatible with the existing XEGS keyboards that are out there. So while it doesn't match the 7800, it's an off-the-shelf keyboard that anybody could go out and find and plug in and use with the console. It it just kind of made things a little easier. So I used the exact same design they made for that piggyback keyboard. I had the steel tooling done for that. So this looks like an Atari product because it's using the exact same mechanical drawings. I wanted this to look like it was actually made by Atari. Now, of course, it says 7800 expansion module. There's nothing on this that says Atari. There's nothing on this that is Atari because this is not Atari. But I've made it so that it matches and it has the exact same look. I wanted this to literally look like it's Christmas morning, 1984. You're pulling this out of the box. This is what I was shooting for. I wanted to recapture that Magic, that look, that feel. The nameplate, I, I went out of my own pocket a little bit on the nameplate and everything for the boards, everything for the components, it, it, it boils down to it's $41 between the board and the components that are going to each one. So for the nasty person who has badmouthed me for decades, and for the nasty person who posted up on the internet saying, Kurt stole the $17,000 to pay for his taxes, I say to the bad person, every single XM that I ship out is $41 out of my pocket. That is how much dedication and how much love I have for this hobby. I didn't do this to make a profit. It would have been nice if I made a profit, but I'm not. Now... I'm going to be raising the prices on the second batch. I have enough plastics to make 500, 700 XM's. I would hope that maybe I'll sell another 100 on top of it. And if I can sell another 100 on top of it, then I just might make enough to break even. Yeah, I think we'll, let's
2: push to get, let's push to get all 300 of those sold so that everybody who's currently you know, using you know, it a 7800
0: is <laughs> okay. but i just i just want you know it just this is i've i've sat quietly for a lot of years i've i've you know unfortunately this project has gone through just a roller coaster of up and downs and it's been 10 years of start starts and stops you know i never intended to have seven heart operations i never no. intended to to spend sometimes as much as 18 months recovering I, I couldn't just look at a screen. If, if I looked at a screen for more than five minutes, I couldn't focus anymore. I was having difficulty thinking. I was having problems. I was actually, at one point it turned out, I was actually in, in what they called it, recumbent, recumbent oxygen starvation. Basically my, my heart wasn't pumping enough oxygen and my brain was actually starved from oxygen. That's why I was having difficulty focusing and, yeah. and, and remembering things. I went through a lot of starts and stops health-wise. We've gone through a lot of starts and stops with a lot of hurdles. The 700, I love this machine. I've, I've loved it since the first day I got one. I, I, I received my first 700 back in, it was like June of 84. A friend of mine wow. worked for a company called Distributors International. They were out of Brooklyn. They were a major East Coast distributor for Atari. They received some of the first New York pre-release batch and he called me up. He says, our contract is going to be getting canceled. We received this unit. We're not going to do anything with it. You want me to stop by your house or drop it off? So he, dropped off, he drops off a 7800 and it had three games. I remember it had Ms. Pac-Man, Joust, and Galaga. And I put this machine on my TV, sat down and played it, and I was in love. And I've never stopped since then i've i've loved this console it it was it's the ultimate atari because i was able to play all my 2600 games but now i could play all these great new better
2: games people who didn't see that console and electronic games like we did and then want it and then get it and be able to play galaga at home not caring that it wasn't identical to the arcade it's so close for what we wanted right
0: also it was the first time Galaga ever was released on a home console
2: Anywhere, right, right. And it was like, I mean, it was just so everything about the 700 was like, it kicks the Vision's ass. It kicks the Intellivision's oh. ass. It kicks everything else out there. If it
0: wasn't for the sound,
2: it would have kicked the sh** out of Nintendo. Stephen and my mother had, my, our mom who passed away, had the exact heart condition you have. We know exactly how debilitating it is. You yeah. cannot do anything with this condition. She couldn't even sit up, or she couldn't lay down. She had to sit up in certain times, yeah, lay down in others. It is not like you had a little heart problem. It is something where your valve is leaking fluid into the cavities of your system. Oh, yes. and, or, and worse, so anyone out there who's listening, this was not a little problem Kurt a or a tax evasion thing. This is a problem where you cannot live with this heart problem. Anyway, I just want to put that in there. Because
0: but, people we know,
2: understand exactly what
0: happened. So, but so this is but this has been a this has been a two-pronged problem because while I was dealing with the health, you have to understand, I, I like I say, I, I love the seventy hundred, is it is my absolute favorite console because of what you know what it's able to do. The the, the thing is it is an absolute nightmare from a timing standpoint. There, there are numerous, there are numerous problems with the console, and the fact that over the years, Atari Corp kept making different patches and fixes. Oh, I have a patch in mind
2: that is basically a wire that goes that just bypasses something so that one game can play on it.
0: Right. So you can right. get you can get dark chambers to right work. exactly it's like but then like i think it knocks out robo knock, tank yeah and, and knocks out half half the other games from activision right exactly like, anyway so, go on so like you I, know this is this is this is one of the biggest problems i've been facing um and and mark and i have been, been just been going back and forth mitch orman has been a monumental help he sent me numerous different reversion uh, revisions of 1700s, including uh, one which I didn't own, which was the Seacam version, which is the which is the last version. Actually, it's 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 more or less. It's it, There's really not that much different from the the final NTSC PAL version, but it has a daughter board on top of it. It's called the Paratel 1700 uh, because it's got a little RGB uh, oh, board wow. it, just to make sure that it didn't have any kind of timing changes versus the others he loaned that to me so getting the the 7800 and the xm to play nicely with each other has been just a it's been like going through a gauntlet it was like you get through one stage of this and then you get hit with another brick wall so this isn't from a technical standpoint this hasn't been easy this is this isn't just like making one cartridge you know that that you know like there's all the different cartridges that are out there to play bigger games um you know, uh, I, I give I give the biggest, most monumental uh, kudos to to I don't, I'm probably going to screw up this name is is Tao Chow or Tao Chow the guys that did Ricky and Vicky. Oh God, that, yeah, that game is just pure pure eye and ear candy. It is just beautiful. They actually used a little. I think they said they used a little arm processor to develop the audio in that. That thing is just it's just astounding. It's incredible. Um, but you know this, the XM, you, you got to realize if, if you really look at it, this is like the ultimate cartridge on steroids because you've got, you've got a high score cartridge in there, you've got a memory cartridge, you've got a pokey cartridge, you've got a Yamaha cartridge, and you've got a keyboard cartridge, and you've got an SIO port cartridge. So you've got so much stuff packed in here. This thing has 128K of direct memory access. This isn't just, oh, you know, it's 128K. This right. actually is RAM. This is, there. these guys, and I've already, I'm I'm, wor- I'm working with a lot of the devs. I've, I've shipped out 10 developer units, and really I'm calling them developer units, but they're really no different than what the end user's gonna get. The only difference is they've got a, it's got a special BIOS in there that they get access to a lot of tools and tests that a regular end user isn't going to get. Also, the end user is not going to have to see a lot of things that the developers are going to go into. And I'll, I'll explain that in a little bit. But they've gotten these, and, but they're copying entire background screens into memory, and they're running animation from memory. Wow. They're doing all sorts of incredible things. Uh, what's it? Synth- Palooza, uh, Bobby Clark, he's been messing around with the Yamaha. Him and Mike Sarna, Revenge, They've been. They've really latched on to the Yamaha, and these guys—they're building all sorts of tools for development, and they've already started putting some demos up. That some YouTube videos went up. It just—my jaw dropped when I first saw this. And they did this literally within days of getting their hands on the XMs. So you got Bob De Cresenza. Bob came to me, probably 15 years ago and emailed me and he said, is there any chance you could give me the source code to Miss Pac-Man? And this was before I released all the 7800 source code that I had found. I replied back to Bob and I said, I will give you the source code to Miss Pac-Man, but I would ask you for one favor in return. I said, I would love to see Pac-Man on the 7800 because there is no Pac-Man on the 7800. And we all see what Bob, I mean, Bob, what's his screen name pac-man plus bob when it comes to pac-man he is the pac-man god you know he is he has done almost every version of pac-man with the exception of like you know dr pac-man and pac-mania that's out there and right now he just posted up on atari age he is showing some of the sneak peeks of what he's doing he decided he wants to get an understanding of how to work with the XM. So he is now going to upgrade his Pac-Man collection with all Yamaha audio. Oh wow. So I'm super super excited. You've got you got Perry, Perry Thwent, uh he's you know Tep uh, 382 on on Atari Age. Perry has been working with me and Mark very very closely for the last year. He's been fantastic with with helping me out. And I really, I can't thank him enough. He's been a phenomenal friend and a a, a phenomenal help to this entire project. He has big plans. He wants to redo Dig Dug with Yamaha Sounds. He wants to do Galaga with Yamaha Sounds. And it's not just Yamaha stuff. Remember, you got a pokey processor in there. Obviously all the games like Bob's Pac-Man 320 is Miss Pac-Man 320 you know, all, a lot of his other games all automatically work with the pokey. Fortunately, what Mark and I did we we created the mapping and the registers on the XM to be try to be as compatible as possible at the time with the existing cartridges that were out there, that the commando and the ballblazer, try to be compatible with the Xboard, which was out at the time, and we didn't want to I didn't want to I didn't want to create a product that was going to quash. The export. Right. I mean, it was kind of just the beginning. I don't think very many people actually ever really went for it. I don't really know very many people that do have exports, but I just wanted to. I didn't want. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I don't want to come walking in and go, "Oh, hey, look! I just created this new product." And by the way, it screws you over. You know, it's kind of like right now. I'm still trying to sort out with Mark a couple of final things. CPU is who is a fantastic guy. He's been working very, very closely with, with Albert from Atari age. He developed a Pokeboard that Albert's been using to sell 700 games on. So a lot of people out there have CPU's board. Well, his board is in conflict with the XM. So we're working to have the XM turn off features so that it's compatible with the board because... I'm coming late to the game, CPU put out a solution, a sort of a break fix, while the XM was being finished. So it's kind of onus on me to make sure that the XM works with stuff that's been developed while this past 10 years has gone by. So I can't go and say, oh, gee, well, he should have made this this way <laughs> to make sure my XM worked. Well, you know what? No, it's up to me and, it, and it's, and it's, you know, it's up to Mark to help out. We're well, not up to Mark. I mean, Mark is helping Mark. Mark's been doing everything just to help out. He's, you know, he, I'm not, you know, I'm not making everybody do anything. I'm, I'm committed to this, but Mark's not, Mark's just been helping me. Perry's not committed to this. Perry's just been helping me. Bob's not committed, but he's helping, you know, but this is onus on me to make sure that I make sure that my product again, doesn't step on anybody else's toes that have put things out, while this has been in the process of being made. And that's only fair. I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're a small community and we, we, we got to make sure that we all work together. So it's my job to make sure that when this comes out, it's as compatible as possible with everything that may have come out in the interim while this thing was being developed.
2: Obviously, making a new piece of hardware that's compatible with the old stuff, compatible with new things people have done is incredibly like, well, well engineered on your part. Let's put it that way.
0: You know, with all the time that's gone by, with all the expectations that gone by, I don't want people to be disappointed. I just had a person put up on Atari Age. they're like, can you please give us an idea of when we'll be able to buy this, the general purchasing after the pre-orders have been shipped. And I said, you know, I said, I'll let people know when I know, I'm getting to the finish line here. Everything's been ironed out. There were big timing issues. Now there's just one deep issue. Hopefully again, the new boards that arrived are gonna fix that. There were major issues with getting the Yamaha to work. I have to tell you, if you go and you go look at like the Commander C16 project that the 8-bit guy has been doing, which is this fantastic. I don't quite know how exactly how to how to classify this, but it's kind of like a semi-C64 sort of clone. Now, they decided to use the same Yamaha chip. They had major problems getting this thing to work with their design. And I can totally sympathize with them because I actually have, just from my own sanity here, just to joke, on the board, there's a section where it actually says the Yamaha Insanity Zone because it was literally driving me crazy because I was having the data sheet that Yamaha released with the 2151. They gave a schematic in there. It is absolutely useless. I I built the circuit, they, they put in the data sheet, it doesn't work. There's a schematic I found from the Sharp um, X68000, I tried implementing on that, that didn't work. Oh. So it was a matter of going back and forth for quite some time to finally get this thing to work. And again, kudos to Mark because he finally threw in a couple of things to, get the darn thing to, to cooperate and we got it going. Then there was the issue with like the op amp getting, cause now you gotta realize I've got cartridges that have got audio output, like the, um, the ball blazer, the commando, the, the, the Ricky Vicky, and then anybody else who may come out with cartridges that, that, that push audio in. Well, the XM has its own pokey, so it's pushing audio. And then the Yamaha was pushing its audio. So I had to build this audio summation circuit to bring all this audio together, amplify it, and then push it down and go down through the external audio uh, feed back into the 7800. So then it would push the audio out through its RF modulator. So that was another major, uh, you know, complication. And I give again a big kudos to Mike's Mike, Mike Saint Pierre, my tech on Atari Age. He helped me out with the audio amp and finally getting that straightened out. So. That was yet another hurdle that was that was you know finally uh, you know uh, overcome. So you know there's been a lot of challenges on this thing. It's been a nightmare sometimes, but it's been fun and and very satisfying to see it coming. I'm I'm now at the point where we've got a really great, nice, stable uh, piece of hardware that's doing everything that it was promised to do. Now we're at a stable piece of hardware. All the features are working on it. It's now in the hands of developers. These guys are now making games and they're already putting out little teasers of what they're doing. And I have to tell you, for someone who, you know, it's one thing you're just the face in the crowd and you see something coming out. But for me, when I see these guys putting up demo videos of new games and it's working on something that I made, I get goosebumps. I get this big smile on my face. I'm like the proud papa because I'm like, they're doing something and I helped them, I helped give them a way to make these new games. And this makes me happy to see that I'm helping to put a sort of a, a second life into this Tame because again, it's a fantastic piece of hardware graphic wise, it is far superior to the Nintendo. It's just the damned audio. It's just that's the problem. You, you have to understand it's a, it was a victim of the timing. GCC planned to put out a low cost audio only processor chip that could be put into all the cartridges that wouldn't be as costly or as cumbersome as the Pokey chip. And that was going to be the plan that these chip, these cartridges were going to have this for those games that would use enhanced audio. I, I think it probably would have been more cost effective to have put it in the console, but the idea was make the console as inexpensive as possible and get it out the door. I mean, you know, when this thing was originally supposed to come out, I mean, they were talking $149 price. So, I mean, that was very, very affordable for the time. I mean, that was, that was a great, great cost. And if Atari hadn't have been sold, if the 7800 had gone into its full release, we would have saw the fully realized console by that Christmas. And the other problem was the, the games. I mean, you got to understand the situation here. There was a huge legal fight between Tramel, Warner, and General Computer Corporation. What Tremail thought was when he bought Atari, the Maria and the 7800 console and all the games that GCC had developed all came with Atari. What we didn't realize was GCC didn't work for Atari. GCC was actually working under contract directly to Warner Communications and Warner Communications had them producing product for Atari. Also so, for the
2: arcade, right? I mean, they made they
0: made the Food Fight arcade machine. Correctly, so. they did Food Fight. They did Quantum. They were planning. Uh, I think it was Night uh, Nightcrawler or Night 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 Stalker. I think it was. Right. Uh, that was another game they're working on. Um, Steve Ross was quoted at one point. He called GCC the toaster, and he said, "You gave them a game to develop, and they would pop it. They would pop it right out." And yeah. <laughs> you know, you look at Sunnyvale, California. You had these teams of programmers, they were taking a long time to put out a game. GCC, these guys were young, they were hungry, and they were aggressive, and these guys were popping out games left and right. There was actually one point where there was a conflict. They actually developed, GCC developed Millipede for the 2600. They weren't commissioned to do it, so they go and they deliver it to George Kiss, and George was like, we're already developing this in house. And the GCC version had this really neat, huge mushroom title screen. It's shooter was actually more well-defined. Playable wise, I'll be honest with you, I think the Atari version was actually a better playing one. But that was the whole point was, these guys were like, they were cranking out stuff. They were cranking out stuff they weren't even supposed to do. They were cranking out stuff. Tremaine has to fight with Warner to find out who owns the rights to this. Eventually, it turned out that Tremell didn't own, own it. He paid GCC $3.2 million to pay for the development of the Maria, the seven hundred. but the games were a separate contracts. So that was another six months of negotiating. He purchased the nine games that they had developed, but now look at the time period here. They're, they've been negotiating all through 85, and then finally by January of 86, now they say, oh, here comes the 7,800. It's already over a year and change late. And right. Opposition Position 2, which was hot and great back in 84, is old and boring now. Galaga, which was hot and great in 84, is old and boring. All the games were now old and boring. And now you've got this new com- company coming over here. Well, not new, but you got this new guy on the scene, Nintendo, They've got games like Super Mario Brothers, which nobody had ever seen a game like that before. You know, we were all used to just bottom shooters. Right, exactly. And Pitfall. Yeah, you could do a side scroll like that. But this was a side scroller. You're fighting mushrooms and getting gold coins and all this cool stuff. And nobody had seen a game like that before. You know, Nintendo, to get into the retailers, they had to basically hide the whole... You know, if you notice... It's not the Nintendo video game system. It's no. the Nintendo Entertainment System. They couldn't sell it as a video game. They had to sell it as an entertainment system. They had to pack it with a stupid plastic robot to get it Rob. into the retailers. retail robot, And the robot barely friggin' worked, made a ton of noise, was slow as s***, and they only made two games for it. And after that, once Nintendo started selling they got rid of the damn robot. It was it was enough to get them in the door. Once they were in the door, they were like, "Forget this. We're we're in, we're in now, and we don't need to to play games anymore with the stupid robot." And they 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 got rid of it. These guys, Nintendo, was putting out really hot games. All Atari had left was old games, and now Nintendo did something which pure dirty pull was this whole exclusive license. Right. They basically yeah. locked Atari out of the market. You know, Sega. Sega survived with its Sega Master System because Sega, most of its games, it had a huge library of arcade games. Most of those games were not brought to the home yet. So, you know, they had great games like Golden uh, Axe, Altered Beast, OutRun, Afterburner. These were fantastic games. So they, they had enough to be able to keep themselves afloat and working. Atari just had old licenses and now every time a company would sign up with nintendo they were locked out they couldn't develop for anybody else nintendo blocked atari out you know it didn't help with Tremail going out in press conferences going eh, atari games atari corp games are really not that good yeah not a They're good like, idea the only company that'll work directly with you and has some ar- arcade games that you could port home you're over here insulting them that's like really playing really good politics here that, that's that's being really uh Really diplomatic. It
2: was funny because eventually some of those games made it to only the Atari ST and they were made by just an okay developer, right? Like like well, yeah, hard driving of, and stuff like great. that.
0: The only, the only time the games came out and came out really good was when they came out on the links. When you well, saw Fun Runner yeah. and hard driving, although hard driving was trying to, kind of hard to play on, 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 on the tiny screen. But, I mean, you saw a lot of great Atari arcade games – the links really was a fantastic showcase.
2: So let's let's go back one step. Let's just say no. that in the future, Steve and I will be in the pool for buying two of those three hundred extras that you have whenever they are available of the XM, <laughs> and it sounds incredibly exciting. You now, one thing I was going to mention, and you you'll let me know if this is correct or not, is that the um, the A two hundred I think it was a three hundred and twenty mode on the 7800. If yes. you're in assembly language with the Maria. Your your sprites only have two colors. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You can yeah. layer nine sprites on top of the to make a multicolored character. It doesn't matter, right? That's
0: correct. You look at a demonstration of that actual effect. Look at Bob's Pac- uh, Miss Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man three twenty. He layers on now. There's a couple of little glitches there, which I believe he's actually correcting them. Cor- correcting in his next release was like, for instance the eyes and the ghosts didn't have the white. So little tiny nuances like that, I think he's actually found a way through programming
2: to accomplish. We'll definitely look for that demo of the Pac-Man 320 for that. I'm
0: looking very forward to this. I mean, really at this point, uh, what's what it's boiling down to is I just need to iron out a last couple of little glitches here on the hardware. I've added in some new electrical changes to the PIA footprint now understand um and every you know this is this was pointed out right from the very beginning the xms do not come with a pia chip but there is a socket there's a footprint where you can plug a pia in and that will fully enable the SIO port on got it the xm you can buy them from best C. they're a standard pia and there's more than enough of them out there they're not like pokies where they're, they're in short supply, and people are paying 25 bucks a pop. You can probably pick up PIAs for two bucks. So you plug a PIA in, and what that will do is that will add in the uh, the command, the interrupt. It adds in all the additional control lines that the SIO needs. The POKE is already giving the data in, the data out. With just the Pokey in, you will get access to the keyboard the keyboard will work. That that's right off the bat because the keyboard goes directly to the poke. What it is is the PIA adds in the interrupt, adds in the proceed, and adds in the command lines onto the SIO. The pokey is giving the, the, the clock in and out and the data in and out. Uh, the only other things that aren't on the pokey is on the board, there's a feed. If you want to add your own external 12 volt feed. To go out through the SIO port, if you wanted a power that needed 12 volt feed, you know, to to be able to to use things. Now, um, I'm not saying it's it, it's possible. You've got this great guy. He's a fantastic person. He's a good friend of mine. His name's Thomas Cherry Holmes. Oh, you know, um, yeah, he does all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Thomas Thomas's his sort of life work right now is this is what's called FujiNet, which yes. is a Wi-Fi modem for the Atari computers that plugs directly into an SIO port. So it's possible some down down the road if somebody's willing to write the software, you could literally plug a Wi-Fi modem into your 7800 and who knows? There could be ways to, you know, download games, there could be ways. Imagine, I know oh. I know there's that center cartridge that you can download a game over Wi-Fi from a server. So Imagine being able to to download a game, you know, from a from a server over a Wi Fi modem. Or what I think would be kind of neat would be, um, I would love to see uh, multiplayer games. I yeah, would love multiplayer
2: games is going to be Wi
0: Fi Wi Fi modem where you could have maybe like multiplayer combat or something like that. Well, Astero- that over-
2: three what they call three D asteroids, but which is asteroids, which is the best version of asteroids by the oh, way on the 7800, Asteroid. bar none has the has the competitive play which would be a sure fantastic game to play yeah
0: and i've i've put i up on up on my seventy hundred section on atarimuseum.com i had put up i don't know about 20 uh games the source code that i had recovered and i put all the source code up there i know asteroids is up there so i mean if someone wanted to turn asteroids into a somehow a multi-user one so you wouldn't be saying player two from the joystick port, you'd be seeing it over an SIO, you know, interface through a Wi-Fi modem. That would be cool. That would be very cool. One of the final things, well, not not final things, but one of the other things that's always bothered me about the 7800, Atari developed a cartridge guide and it was shaped too, they put too much tapering and, and canting into the cartridge guide and this caused a tremendous amount of issues. Games from Tiger Vision, games right. from Sega, uh, um, all the Magic games, the Spectra Vision games, the Coleco uh, games are too wide and too tight. They don't fit into the 7800. So there are games, has nothing to do with electrical compatibility with the 7800. A lot of games just physically cannot be plugged into a 7800. And if you jam the cartridge in, you wind up cracking the guide and breaking it. So um, so this has been something that's bothered me for a hell of a long time. I'm pretty decent with, with SolidWorks. So I made a new cartridge guide and I've gone through three revisions of it. And Bob DiCresenza has this really, really cool uh, 3D printer. Um, Bill Lang has one too. He did a, he did a run yeah. for me on my second revision, getting the, the 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 actual finished product out of all the 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 schmutz. Yeah, you got to you got to scrape off a lot of schmutz. Yeah, that it was way. was real, was a real challenge. Bob's Bob's for some reason his three D printer literally prints out like almost perfect. So he just ran off for Perry and I the final version that I did and he did them he did one in Atari 7800 purple for me and he did it in Pac-Man yellow for Perry (laughs) and I just received the new guide and my first test was the magic cartridge like I I slid it in and like eased it in it just it just dropped in drops right in perfect so
2: one thing that you can tell if you're um, if you break the guide there's this voltage regulator panel on the back yep And if you push in too hard, that will break off.
0: It actually, well, that's how many 7800s I've had to fix. Yeah, because of that. Because the metal, there's a metal shield that the the 7805 is connected to. It gets pushed back, and the 7805 tilts, and the trace on the bottom. Breaks. Exactly, it breaks, and suddenly there's no power
2: to so the board. You're, what's going on?
0: Well, That's what happened, yeah. right? So, so then, if you touch the seventy-eight oh five, you move it around, you wiggle it, all of a sudden the power jumps back on and off, and like, right? Because like, the- something's touching, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, what I what I found was the best way to do it is was to take a resistor, take like a quarter watt resistor, cut a piece of the uh, the lead off of it, and then solder that onto the bottom of the board. This way, there's some meat there. You got you to get rid of some of the solder mask and then basically put that on right directly onto the pin of the, the, the middle pin of the 7805 and just solder the whole thing across. And that creates enough of, of, a, of a solid, you know, amount of, of, of tension there to hold the damn 7805 in place.
2: Well, I'm going to say that the, the rise of Kurt Vendell doesn't just start with the publishing of your book with Marty, which is absolutely the best Atari book ever written. We didn't if get just, to that, but if that's if it, okay.
0: We just didn't have twelve thousand gra- grammar and, and spelling errors in it. <laughs> oh, it doesn't
2: matter. And Marty, you know, he's a, he's doing his thing right now. He's he's a he's Marty, a rock Marty's,
0: Marty's 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 digging his he's digging his his guitar and his. Yeah, rock he's and awesome. He's he's off. He's off uh, having a good time. He's got a. I hear he's got a really really wonderful girlfriend. He's a really. He's been very happy, and I'm 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 really happy for him. Him and him and I haven't really been doing very much right now, only because. I I basically I kind of put my foot down I'm like I have a very bad habit of I see a problem and I want to jump on and help so I got myself involved in probably a dozen projects you know what happens is when you got to put time into a dozen projects nothing gets done because you're putting five minutes into each one of them so I finally put my foot down I said no more projects I said the only project that I worry about is the XM and with the exception as long as it didn't take any time away from the xm i would complete this one other 7800 related project that i did complete which was this brand new i'm calling it the pro guide and this is going to be the cartridge replacement guide for the 7800 and also um i want to put them into all the xms so the idea was about (laughs) three weeks ago when the final version of the pro guide was done, excuse me, was done and Bob T. Cresenza had run it off and he says, it's perfect. Everything fits. And Perry was like, he goes, I plugged it. I plugged the magic cartridge in. It fits finally. All the cartridges fit. So what we'll do is we'll throw this up on Kickstarter and we'll get brand new steel tooling made and we'll run off new cartridge guides and we'll get this done. And then suddenly we get this, Freaking virus comes where no one's gonna. You know what? I would say though. I would
2: say though there are gonna be more people who are sitting there wanting to. I
0: know that we even talked. Well, well, I I mean, once hopefully, hopefully we can all kind of go back to work soon, so we can pay our bills, and then maybe we'll all have money again, and then maybe I'll come back and revisit this. Dan Uh, Kitchen, the
2: same thing, wanting to get his cartridge done. He's got his new Atari. Oh my god! You know,
0: Dan. Dan and I have been going back and forth. He knows. He knows I'm a massive cheerleader of this game because I mean Dan, Dan is doing what I'm doing. He is literally reviving yes the, the complete essence of yeah. what Activision was. I mean I mean the, 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 the artwork when it looks he fantastic the yeah. artwork and you know this is Activision esque I'll call it is having the character bouncing and the rainbow is bouncing along right with it. That is so Activision esque that it just. When I first saw that box, I got goosebumps because yeah, I was Dan's like, stuff
2: is fantastic. I don't know if his brother did because because um uh Gary is such a great artist. I don't know if he did the box or not. I, I forgot to ask him. But um, but it just look
0: everything about it is like everything okay. This is great. Activision I, I before even, media genic. I, like, I even like. I even like the name of the company Tiki Vision. I think yeah. that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah.
2: It is <laughs> cool. No, everything so I think you guys are doing like really cool stuff that is like the essence of the old stuff and using the same technology. He refuses to put even a DPC plus or he he just wants to make games Bank oh, Switch games. I wish
0: I wish he, you know, I wish he would use that chip because it is an Activision chip. They developed it.
2: The problem I, that it is it is an Activision chip and that's why he doesn't want to use it.
0: Well, all right. I mean, yeah, and I understand that. I just, I just, I just meant it. It, it's, it's not like he's using an outside. I know what you're
2: saying, though. It's not an arm. It's not an arm chip. It is an Activision chip that was developed at the time. It could be used. And if there is no, if the current Activision wouldn't would give the rights to it, or it, I know they don't even know they own it. If they would, well,
0: the thing is, is they, they don't really own it because oh. the patent's expired on it. So. Well, David
2: Crane owns it, and whatever it is, you're right. Oh. though. I don't want. to... If he he maybe eventually he will, but right now I think his head is in like using that same code in in 128 bytes of RAM, and then bank switching to make the best game he could have made with all the time possible. Same stuff you're doing with making the XM, right? I'm not, I'm like you're you're trying to make it as good as you can given that technology, and that's fantastic. Well, that's
0: it. I mean, you know, it's 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 working with the old stuff because I mean, you know. A lot of this could have been done. We, we could have thrown an arm on this. We, we could, we, you know, we, we could have done. We had to throw a pie on this thing, for, for Christ's sake. I mean, there could have been a lot of other things that have been done. It could be, it could do ten times more than what it does now. But the thing is, it's it would not be an Atari now anymore. It, it, it you, you're just you've tainted the whole thing. It, it's like, what's the point?
2: You're shoving a new console in. You, know, um, you might
0: as well be using an emulator and then just write an emulator that adds in all these you know, fantasy features. It's it just it, it just doesn't stay pure to what the original design was. And that's that's not what I want. And that does that that doesn't accomplish anything. That does that that doesn't really I, I just don't think that's the right way right, to do that's
2: so. like using that's like using a retro pie to emulate your stuff. We could do that anyway, right? Like we could
0: right. we could but play then, any
2: game you know, possible then, then anyway.
0: People are gonna look at that and they're gonna yawn. I mean, you know, this is using, you know, stone knives and bearskins and <laughs> you know giving everybody you know, a real leg up. I mean, and I, I don't, I don't want everybody to, you know, there's a couple of really important hidden things on the XM. I haven't revealed yet. I mean, I've revealed, okay, it's high score, 128 K two audio processors, keyboard and SAO, but there's a couple of other features in here. I haven't said or made any mention yet and nobody's going to know about until they plug them in and they turn on the end user bias because the end user bias has some really nifty, neat stuff that's going to be in it. Uh, there is going to be a game, and it's it's a it's a game Mark wrote. It's hard as hell. It's one of those hard as hell but frustratingly addictive games because you have to you just keep, you get pissed off at it and you keep coming back and you got to keep playing it again. And <laughs> you know it it uses it's using the RAM. It runs from RAM, and it's using the Pokey chip and um mark may still he's still i mean he's still finishing the xm BIOS. he's flirting with the idea of maybe also having it use the yamaha but i mean that's up to him but right now it's in the developer uh bios so i've been playing it a lot and uh, it's fun just so everybody understands the the xm when you plug a cartridge in the xm automatically checks for what kind of cartridge it is looks and sees if it's a 2600 cartridge if it's a 2600 cartridge the xm turns off basically it just becomes a pass-through device the 2600 cartridge just talks directly to the 7800 and the xm is out of the equation so it, it, you, there's no way for 2600 games to access the memory or the high score keeping or anything the xm just kind of becomes transparent it disappears it's only meant for 7800 mode it's only meant for 7800 games when you plug a 7800 game in, it senses it. It will check the game, sees if whether there's a pokey chip in it or if there's memory in it. Uh, we did check with Serpentine, which, uh, which is Mike's right. game. Uh, Serpentine has its own memory. It is working perfectly with the XM, plays nicely. The cuddle cart works. The harmony cart works. The croc cart works. So wow. all of those multi you know, multi-menu game cartridges work. That's not a problem. Uh, Ricky and Vicky works with it, Rescue and Fractalis, Commando. So make sure all the games that have anything extra in them work with the XM. It turns off or it passes through those games features through the XM. Then the XM allows the game to load up and play. If there's no game at all plugged into the XM and you turn it on, then the XM senses no cartridge and then the XM will load its own BIOS the BIOS comes up and now you're able to go in and you can do things like clear the high score cartridge. Um, You can run tests. Maybe, maybe there's a problem and you just want to check the XM. You can run a end user set of tests. You can play the built in onboard game that comes with the XM. And then you're going to be able to use a couple of very special programs that are built into the XM that access some of the other features that I haven't mentioned on the XM. One of the important things is, and this was something that I I put in the hardware from the very, very beginning. Since Rev 2.1 of the board was the ability for the onboard flash chip that holds the BIOS to be upgraded. So if down the road we want to add in a feature or address something, or maybe a new cartridge comes out and we need to sense a new signature for that new cartridge, we can give out a BIOS upgrade and then you could throw it onto a Cuddle Cart or a Harmony or whatever, and then you can run what's called the XM Programmer and that will automatically reflash the BIOS and update it. So we made it wow. so that these are gonna be out in the field and if we ever have to do something, it's not like I gotta go, oh, well, you're gonna have to mail your XM back and upgrade it. So now you'll be able to do that right now. there out.
2: aren't and enough couple of carts in and and, uh, and well it's not harmony i think it's concerto I guess you could use can, you, you can use the you can use the harmony cart but it just plays twenty six hundred games. But there's not yeah, enough
0: there aren't you can use the, can use the harmony because it's twenty six hundred but you got the concerto Saint uh, Saint is working on a new a new S D card uh, a cartridge, so that that may be coming. Yes, I think uh, that
2: he he took a break though after the Jaguar. I took
0: a break because he said he's you know I think I think he's kind of under my philosophy. You, you know
2: how it feels. He
0: can't do everything. You know when I was when I was dealing with the health issues, I was in a lot of pain, and I got a really 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 short temper, and I kind of told everybody to go f themselves at one point, <laughs> and I. I actually stopped using, I stopped going on Atari Age for I think like two years because I needed, I was unbelievably stressed out. Yeah. I was sick. I couldn't work on the project and I had everybody screaming at me, when are you going to come out? Why, why aren't you doing updates? Why aren't you doing anything? You're lying. I want my money back. And it's like, you know, this was another thing, you know, from the very beginning, it was always said, this is going to pay for the tooling. So there are no refunds. The money's going into something and the tooling is being made. The plastics are being put out. There's no way to refund because the money you put into this paid for it. And it was just enough to pay for the tooling because now it's like, oh, okay. So now on top of all the other money I've spent, so now I got to put I got to put 90 bucks out of my pocket for everybody because nobody wants the XM now.
2: Well, it's going to be coming out. So one thing I was going to ask you a question about was this RAM is on top of the 4K that's already in the 1700,
0: and that's on top of the uh, the Maria RAM. And actually, Maria has two different memory banks. There's there's Mem one and Mem zero and Mem one. We're directly talking to the Maria, so we're actually this is what's key is when it comes to like graphics. Now the Maria literally you know, has its own graphics memory. The CPU can literally run on one set of memory and the the Maria can run on on the 128. So now, now you've got this massive amount of memory. So Bob had a game that he was doing, which was a scrolling game, and it was frustrating him because he couldn't get the scrolling to go smooth enough. But now he could literally load all of the background into memory you'd be loading up and you'd be accessing the backgrounds or sprites i mean you could i mean i mean remember something the 7800 the way the maria was designed it's designed in the same design philosophy as an arcade and you're if you look back at a lot of the arcades they used to have kind of a, a sprite string there would be this long graphics right. of just the sprites for the game so you could see Yourself loading and keeping all of this stuff in memory for the Maria and the Maria is just going to directly access this stuff to put up on the screen. So this is going to change A lot of things. This is going to give the programmers the ability to be able to do certain things for games that they were limited to in the past and I'm hoping we're going to see things I, I'm I've, I've always kind of thrown these hints out to programmers. Well, not not kind of hints. I've actually kind of been sort of pushy on it. I'm like, can someone please take Desert Falcon and convert it into Zaxxon? Make a real to... game
2: out of it, right. Uh, someone
0: please, <laughs> if we're going to have a Yamaha processor, could someone please make Marble Madness? Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to see a lot of games. You know, Crystal Castles was planned for the 7800. It'd be nice to see a Crystal Castles be done on the 7800. It would make such a great game on the 7800. Harry brought up in a conversation we were having uh, with the developers, he's like, you know, uh, is there a way we could throw an extra control line on and throw in a second pokey and and have stereo pokey? And I'm like, that is what the PIA footprint is for. The programmers can throw access the PIA, they could throw a line off that, throw a couple of gates on that, and you could actually create your own control line just to go to a second pokey and control a second pokey on that. There's a lot of things in here on the expansion module for hardware hackers and tinkerers. And that PIA is giving, can open up a huge amount of doors for them. Remember, you're now going to have access to all of, you've still got, you've still got all of the the paddle lines that are there on the pokey, you've got all of of the, the joystick lines you've got all those other all those other lines on the PIA there's a lot of potential there for people to hack the hell out of that XM and make it do far more than what what it's already going to be doing right off the bat so there there's a lot of possibilities that I put in there every single thing on that board i marked everything so if somebody wants to tinker on that board they're going to see where every single address line data line control line everything is there on the board i did that purposely
2: yeah have you looked at some of these boards and how they're labeled
0: when you're when you're looking for r66 and c64 when you want to do the timing fix unless somebody puts a photo up and circles it with a little red circle you have no damned idea where they are
2: And even then, it might not be the right version, and it might be the PAL, they may show a PAL version.
0: That was one of the problems. You're dealing with several different revision boards, and then on the revision boards, there are so many different versions of the O2 socket, the U13 socket, that has so many different variable components in it, because they tried one timing fixed this way and another timing fixed that way. They omitted it completely. They they did this, they did that. And it's like, you know, could we just stick with one hardware model for crying out loud?
2: So those were for 2600 compatibility or those were to get certain games that were using the pokey chips and stuff to work right. properly?
0: But the problem is, is it it, it causes yeah. timing issues. And unfortunately... It causing it's causes timing issues that were that were gi- uh, giving me issues with the XM. It actually has a bus divider. We actually put a 245 on the XM. We actually turn off. We actually can have the XM separate from the cartridge slot. In fact, I can actually live remove a cartridge and plug another cartridge in. And then go and load it up on the XM with it powered on. You really, shouldn't do that, but <laughs> I can actually do that because the buses have actually been separated. And that was separating the buses was one of the biggest solutions to fixing a lot of the timing issues. So you are on track, and you're feeling good about the package. I'm feeling run. very good. I see the finish line. We're getting there. And like I say, we've got ten units out to devs, and. It's just a matter of wrapping up the end-user bias, wrapping up this last issue with the timing, and then putting in the compatibility with all of those pokey cartridges that were put out by Age, and we're done. There's, there's nothing left that I'm going to have to correct. Now it's just a matter of starting to fill the orders, and everybody's done the form, they've all gone over to the form, they gave me updated addresses. Now I'm going to just go from the first person that contacted me to the last, and I'm going to take them in like batches of five, recontact everybody, just verify. I'm just going to let them know your address is correct. Great. Your XM's on its way. Here's a tracking number. And you're feeling healthy. So it's been two years since I had my last aorta replaced for the third time.
2: You're feeling good is really the gist of our conversation. The secondary part was – when XM will be ready, but XM stuff that's in there, what you're doing, is like exciting. When it will be ready, yeah, I'm gonna buy one. I've I never got I never had a chance to pre order one. So I will be there buying two one for Steve, one for I whenever um Whenever you are in the second run, but that's great.
0: Thank you, Jeff. I, the prices are going to be like one forty nine. They they may be a little bit more. They may be one sixty nine. I think that's still a fairly reasonable price for what what everybody's going to be getting. If you open an XM and you open a seventeen hundred, there's actually more hardware in the XM than there is in the seventeen hundred. You
2: would be really cool, and I'm just going to put this out right now. If Bob would create a game. That takes advantage of it, package it, and sell it for two bills, so that you'd get your X M with a new game made by Bob D Cresenzo that takes takes advantage of some of the new features. It'd be
0: nice, kind of a bundle. Maybe do some with you know from everybody, basically one from Bob, one from Sure, Kelly, one from Mike, one from Bobby. You know, I want a Xenon 2. I would kill for Time Pilot with the Pokey audio. You'd get that nice you know warping out sound and stuff. I mean, right? You know that yes. that, that would be a nice game.
2: But there is an Atari 8-bit version of Time Pilot that is just zoomed in a little bit. It's in the seven. It's in graphics mode seven, but it, it uses every trick in the book to pre-render tiles in certain places so it looks exactly like you're playing the cool. arcade version of Time Pilot with all the sounds and everything. It's just zoomed in a little bit because. Of, okay. But it, it is incredible. I'll send you a video link to it. I would like to on. see actually. I'll
0: tell you. The, you know. You, you want to talk about a good vertical? Bosconian. Well, Bosconi, I'll send you two videos then. Because I, I just saw the new video. I saw the new video for the 8-bit. And when I saw that, because I've always, I, I got to play that in the arcades as a kid. That, that left such an impression on me. When I saw that, I said, my God, please make a 7800 version of it. last off. You
2: know, anyway. Okay, I'm going to leave you alone. We'll get another interview with you uh, when it comes out so that we can uh, we can promote it and get people for the second Kickstarter. Hi, this is 8-Bit Jeff here. What you're listening to right now is a song by Tony Longworth called Everything Has Energy. We're going to play a little bit of it right now, and then we're going to use it underneath the rest of our discussion. Was an interesting place to stop the discussion Jeff. well the rest of the discussion right then broke off and talked about the atari 8-bit which i cut up and did in episode six so there wasn't a lot of back and forth i couldn't do another ending on it so this is That's what we fine. have
1: but i think that was enough i mean that was a super double ender episode
2: super double ender episode yes with um, i'm
1: fascinated that uh kurt brought up Bosconian there at the end because I, I love Bosconian too. it's one of my favorite Namco games. And I do wonder what's happened to it on Namco Museums. The last few Namco Museums, it's been absent. And I just wonder what's up with Bosconian. I, I can't get many answers, but I even tweeted to Namco to see if they'd answer my question, but of course they didn't.
2: They maybe they don't own it or something. It's a little bit like Atari and Food Fight or something like that, where they just don't even remember that this is such a great game that they have. But I think that what kurt was saying and this applies to the um the 700 as well as what could have been the 5200 candy released earlier also was atari had this incredible relationship with namco where they could have released a lot of other games for these systems oh yeah and great games that hadn't been released yet hadn't been released um yeah. and they also Tremil. it looks like you know um He didn't do a great job of cultivating his relationship with Warner and Atari games. And that would have been another fantastic selection of games through Namco. I think did Midway purchase Atari at one time? And Later,
1: much later. But there's a ton of great games you can find on Midway Classic Volume 1 that are all from that era. But I'm saying like Marble Madness and Gauntlet and uh, 720 and APB. And there's just a ton of great games from that time that would have felt like at home on the 7800 and some of them, you know, ended up coming on the Lynx, but there's no reason why, after looking at the 7800, the way it was built, what you could do with it, that some of those games could have been ported to the 7800 as well.
2: No, in fact, it, it would have been it would have been awesome if they had all been ported to the 7800 and they had all been ported with that 320A mode that Bob D. Cresenzo was creating his new Pac-Man in. I've seen pictures of it, and it looks identical to Pac-Man. Like you can't tell the difference between the arcade version and the Atari 700 version. Is it Pac-Man or Ms. Pac-Man? Whatever. I, the game that he has created, I, I'm going to try and try a video of it. I'll try and put it in the notes. But it looks incredible. He has his Pac-Man collection, so I'm not quite sure which ones he's creating. I need to get the video, but I remember seeing it, not understanding what it was, what, what I was looking at. And now I get why he's using, why he called it Pac-Man 320 either. Like, you know, there's Pac-Man 360, and I'm like, oh, maybe he's making a Pac-Man 360. Why doesn't the scroll, well, that wasn't it. He's using the 320 mode. That's why he's calling it Pac-Man 320. My brain just did not have enough processing power to process all of that
1: yeah that that totally makes sense the pac-man 320 is cool but i mean it's it's pretty amazing that kurt is finally going to get this peripheral out that is going to make very interesting 700 games possible i know to very few people at most 500 but it's still a really cool thing for the fans of the 7800 it just would have been those plans about making other namco games and even a time pilot or the atari games games would have been much better if the 700 had been released on time in 1984 then it only makes sense then i do understand why people want to do recreations of games and make sure that things could have been done on the platform i personally feel like making my own games instead but I understand the, the need to see if things could have been done
2: well repros are cool because it's people yeah just trying to prove that the hardware is capable that's all really it's like the arcade machine had all these extra chips and all this stuff and it was a full board and everything and it was but could my Atari 7800 have done it in 84 and the answer is yes yeah, it was, designed to, it was designed to do it. And people would have had to know how to do it and they would have
1: pushed it. Sure. I mean, it could do a pretty decent job of games like that, especially single screen arcade games. It could do most of those without a problem.
2: Right. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the 7800 right now, Steve, what you're finding out about scrolling and, and some of the graphics and things like that.
1: Well, yeah. So j- just working in 7800 Basic now. I started making a side scrolling shooter, which is something I've always wanted to make. And what I've found out is that if you can tile 16 by 16 tiles across the top and bottom of the screen, actually you need 11, because it's 160 across, you need an 11th one to be off the screen. So when you move it onto the screen, uh, and one is moving off the screen, it looks like there's a continuous side. 11 tiles scrolled and animated top and bottom of the screen makes it look like it's scrolling now is it really scrolling well kind of because you can have data that changes out that last tile that comes onto the screen and so essentially it can be like a scrolling arcade game. Now, is it, it's not really scrolling a full map because it's drawing only the latest tile from your, from your data set? Sometimes it's the illusion that
2: matters, right? It, it looks like it's scrolling, so it might as well be. You know, just as an aside, when you read through the book about the guys making Doom, when they started making games and figured out how to scroll on the PC, that's what they did. They didn't redraw the entire screen. They were just moving one tile. And that's all they were doing. So then they made a scrolling game on a 286. And before that, it wasn't supposed to be able to happen. And, and so they started making a Super Mario Brothers style game. Later turned out to be Commander Keen. I've been excited about that. I found this Tia
1: Tracker, which is uh, a tool to build Tia music. So I've been playing with that. Hope to have some type of little song to go with the game
2: and I will work on a pokey song if I can for it so that if you have the pokey chip or you're an emulation or whatever then there'll be a pokey song for it too
1: i'm thinking about throwing in some Atari vox too so in in a couple little places just for the fun of it i think being able to put in the hooks for all those things, like the high-score card drone stuff, is pretty straightforward and kind of fun things for people who
2: have those devices. Yeah, you know, why not have uh, the Atari Vox and the high-score in there? Why not have yeah. them? Yeah, there's no reason not to. So now that you've been in there and you heard the extra features, and especially this... 128K in two banks that you can use with a Maria. How does that extend what you can do in the graphics area? Of- so
1: we'll go back to the TIA really quick. We asked a long time ago, why does the TIA music played on the 7800? Why is it better than the stuff you would hear on the VCS? And the answer is simple. It's the amount of data that you can store about your song. The amount of changes you can make over time playing through the two voices makes the music better. So when you could only store 10 notes of a song and play Mary Had a Little Lamb, that's all you're going to get. So the answer is the more data you can store, the more elaborate you can make things. With 128K of addressable memory, but not the 4K, you could store huge maps in memory that then, like I said, when you're scrolling, it'd be easier to understand where you are and scroll around a huge map than it is the 4K of memory that you get. Addressable oh, memory without bank switching because you have to be very careful when you're bank switching about what you put in what banks. But if you could load all that in and then not have to worry about bank switching, that sort of thing, it just makes that much more available to you at the time. Or load in bigger maps, more data that's being stored in real time as opposed to the 4K that you have. You know, Just like the 128 bytes you had on the ECS. there's only so much you can do with that. And if you wanted to make, for example, basic programming for the 7800, instead of having a possible 2K of RAM space that you could use because after your variables, you have 128K of RAM space that you could use to, to store a program, right? Of things that are happening in the game or in the program at any one time. So it just opens up a lot of possibilities. Kurt of even joked about
2: doing. maybe putting, I, didn't, I think I cut it out, but he joked about maybe adding Atari 700 Head Basic into the, into the OS ROM because then people could program their own games. That'd be fantastic. From our last episode we got some feedback from David who's in both the Atari 5200 podcast and the XCGS podcast. He had actually listened and he added a little bit of what we had talked about to the beginning of the 5200 podcast talking about the latest episode. The 5200 podcast spring podcast update and contest giveaway episode is the latest one. Was he, was be- he
1: upset about something we said? No, about- he hasn't,
2: he didn't even mention our our out he didn't mention it in the podcast, but he mentioned that the 5200 really was hand where it was the first machine and it should have been out early and that's why it's the best one. So I, he got some of that. And he's right.
1: It just should have come out three years before. Right. Right.
2: And so I wanted to mention that those guys are out there doing that podcast, the 5200 podcast. The latest that was one where they talked about new controllers and things I need new controllers. I, I brought down my 5200 today. I have one controller that works and I'm trying to help bill at Atari bytes, get his 5200 working but mine barely works. So I've sent him over to Glenn at the Atari 5200 podcast to see if Glenn can help. And Glenn does a lot of um, work on hardware. And so they're making some new joysticks and things and they all have all kinds of little things that kind of make it easier to use a 5200. I want to also mention there's another 5200 podcast. It's the Atari 5200 Super Community Podcast with Rick, Matt, Mike, and Willie. And just 10 days ago, they had one on Rescue on Fractalus or Fractalis, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I always said Fractalis. So there are two 5200 podcasts. So not to get them confused, there's the 5200 Super Community Podcast and the Atari 5200 Podcast. The Atari 5200 Podcast is with Robert, David and Glenn. And David is the one that contacted me. They're the ones who also do the XEGS Podcast. So not to get them confused. But anyway just to know there are two podcasts out there they're both fantastic
1: weren't but, you telling me about the XEGS podcast? So the guys
2: well? who do the atari 5200 podcast they have also have the xegs podcast and the last one that they did was on gauntlet and dark chambers for the xegs now i'm not a big fan of the gauntlet port i know that the programmer mentioned even in a thread on uh on Facebook, that you know, he pushed he pushed the machine. The machine was pushed to make this game. It just I just am not a big fan of it, but I love the version of Dark Chambers that was made for it. It shows a lot more of what can be done. Now there's fewer colors than the seven eight hundred version, of course things like that. But it's a really fun game. So they did that. So I think the XeGS podcast is one that if people have been listening to this for the last couple episodes, and we've done a lot of coverage of the Atari eight bit. Those are two great podcasts to listen to including the other 5200 podcasts, the 5200 Super Community Podcast. And also the Antic Podcast is out there too, which is a fantastic podcast about the uh, Atari 8-bit computer. Yeah, I love that one too. And that's,
1: that's one of my favorites. So before we go for the week, this is a special super long double-ender two-week extended podcast because it's really
2: long. I think people have had enough, enough of us anyway. But any um, what, what are you watching, Jeff? Watching. Okay, so I finished Devs. I liked it. It was pretty good. Um, I liked it too. I think that the answer that they came up with was the only answer they could come up with. And I have stopped watching Westworld except for I've been watching the summaries in 15 minutes that are on YouTube because I can't get myself to sit there for an hour and watch it.
1: I agree with you. I did watch the penultimate episode. It's sort of the amount of violence is upsetting to me because it makes no sense in the story the amount of the story, in the way the I, story is. I i don't it's not like i against violence or anything like i i think it serves the story but i think in the west world it's almost gleeful in its bloodlust in this season when it shouldn't be it reminds me of what put me off about the matrix because in the matrix they're like yeah everyone in the matrix you know, they're part of the Matrix. We might as well just kill them. And I'm like, well, what if that's not the case? Like, it's kind of a little off-putting. The other thing is, if the robots are super powerful, why do they care if people are shooting at them? Because it doesn't really matter. Like, the violence seemingly doesn't make sense, I guess. Anyway,
2: there's a lot about it and devs that are similar, but devs, it does it in such a more, I would say, a subtle manner. Uh, What about playing, Steve? You been playing anything interesting? The only thing I've
1: been playing is my Atari 7800 game, Into the Void, which right now, all you do is fly and shoot multiples of ships and watch them blow up with the explosions
2: I made. So
1: that's all I've been playing. It's
2: always fun to make that game engine, isn't it? Yes, um, it's fun to make the game engine. I, I had a little bit of a mishap. So over the last couple days... Started on Saturday, I started working on my 800XL to get the Antonia 4 meg board working again. It did not work. In fact, I did something dumb and broke it along the way. Turns out that I need to replace a chip that I had removed, so I took out the Antonia board, and that 800XL is in the garage now waiting for me to get an ultimate 1 megabyte to put into it. But I love the 800XL because the cartridge port's on the top. So now the only Atari 8-bit system I have is the 130 XE, which I think is fantastic because it has 128K in it. The problem is cartridge port's in the back and it's really flaky. And, and I don't have a huge amount of space. So the cartridge is hitting the wall and also it's getting in the way of the, the monitor port that is plugged in the back. And so sometimes I get sound, sometimes I don't. It's like, it's just, I'm so frustrated with it at the moment. I was trying to get the carts that I had to work. So I played, the carts that I really want to work were GORF and demon attack and i did figure out a way to get them to work with this translator cartridge that worked once or twice and stopped working and then i just went and found on a couple sites an excel fixed and excel fixed demon attack that i can play instead so anyway that's what i was playing
1: oh that's um, cool that's it
2: <coughs> and I'm not I, reading I, anything. I haven't read anything in the last week so i've been i've been uh i don't know for some reason the
1: quarantine is making reading hard i i don't i don't know exactly why uh, yeah, I'm, pay- I'm doing a lot more uh, taking out of a lot more garbage.
2: What I mean, I'm like, doing well, a weird. lot
1: more programming so it's made it hard. I've read a lot of the docs for the 7800 Basic and stuff like that. That's what basically what I'm reading. Or the docs for Tia Tracker. I read that.
2: Yeah, I've read through some docs like that too. and uh, I have Visual Studio Code installed with the Atari Dev Studio and then yesterday Visual Studio Code had to update itself and it tried to update itself and it didn't work. And so it deleted itself from my system. But luckily, as soon as I installed it again, it reinstalled Visual Studio Code right away and your game was right there and I was able to play it. Oh, good. So any final thoughts on this episode? What Kurt had to say about Atari or anything like that? Um, I'm happy
1: to know that he's healthy. I'm happy to know that the XM module is coming out. I think it's a a positive step for uh, the whole Atari community for this to all come out well
2: yeah i like just like the fact that these pro brewers are creating things the way they were back in the day
1: yeah do you consider that a pro brew yes piece of art so do i because
2: kurt is going back and creating it all with the same materials that would have been available at the time i think that it's a pro brew hardware in fact legacy engineering is a pro was that was his company well definitely the
1: high score cartridge was pro brew Right. And I think the XM module, because it includes it, is like a bonus high score cartridge. So I, I agree. Pro Brew. What I'm making, homebrew, for sure. Absolutely, for sure.
2: Homebrew. Sub homebrew. <laughs> uh, so far, I've had fun playing the game. I can't wait to make some new levels. And, and um, I don't think we need to animate all of the tiles as they go by if that may no, take no, up a no. little processing. And so, if we don't do that, we can make some really cool underground, underwater, space oh, yeah. tile environments. Uh, just with our drawing skills for fun, so, like it was Menace or something like that,
1: right? Sure, I'm thinking about that, and I'm I'm going to draw tonight. I'm working on a boss fight for the next video demo. So.
2: Right, right, and that that's great because then we can make new bosses and stuff, and and um, we can make it like we're making like an NES game exactly. basically. So the it.
1: bosses are going to be a collection of animated tiles. And so what's gonna happen in the boss fight is the scrolling walls are going to disappear because you stop scrolling because you're fighting a boss. And that will give me a lot more tiles and processing
2: to have a boss fight. So that's the plan. Right, that's perfect, that's perfect.
1: I hope I get it done by next week.
2: Everyone check out our YouTube, the Into the Vertical Blank YouTube channel, the Into the Vertical Blank Twitter, Into the Vertical Blank Facebook, 8-Bit Rocket, and FultonBot on Twitter. We are adding these videos of Steve's new game all the time, and we'll be adding more content to the video channel and to the podcast feed as soon as we can. We'll probably take a a week break before we uh, do another podcast episode.
1: Yeah, probably. It depends on when this one comes out. It's
2: probably coming out tomorrow if I have time to edit it all together tonight.
1: Cool. Okay, well, I'll say this, Jeff. I have one thing to say to you. Into the vertical blank
2: into the vertical blade. Into the vertical blade.
1: Prepare to write new data, V blank
0: ending. An 8-bit Rocket Studios production.